Hello everyone, welcome to episode number 26 of Starting to Know Business Podcast with your host and your friend Ishu Singh. If you are listening to this podcast for the very first time, here we are all family. I'm not here to teach you anything, it's just family. I will be asking questions to the guest and guests will answer to the best of their abilities I will ask questions, they will answer, and you will learn. So it's a three-way process. We are connected. That means we are a family, right? So we are learning from each other. This podcast is all about that. So if you want to learn something meaningful, if you want to start, run, or grow your business, this is a podcast for you. This is not the only one. There are many others out there as well. But this is going to be the one where we act as a family and we learn from each other. Sometimes I don't believe that I reached 26 episodes. I started with the first one, of course, uh, first one. So, yeah, it's been a great journey. I receive a lot of great support from you, from all you guys. It has been a great support and thank you so much for supporting this podcast. This means a lot. If you are listening to this podcast for the second, third time, thank you. Thank you so much. This really, really, really means a lot to me that you are listening to this podcast one more time. If you want to learn more about me, go to issuesing.com, I-S-H-U-S-I-N-G-H.com. Go to issuesing.com and you can learn more about me there. You can go to all the social channels that I own from there Uh, go to YouTube go to Twitter go to anywhere else like on on my social media handles you can go from there um, from my website and if you want to get in touch with me regarding anything where I can help you you can email me via my website you can go to my website you can drop me a message there and I will try to get back to you as soon as possible the previous guest was Eric Daimler Today I have Melissa Daimler. So Melissa was uh, giving me a punch. She said, like, this is a Daimler week for me. So I said, yeah. (laughs) So because uh, last episode was her husband. This episode is about her, Melissa Daimler. Melissa is having 20 plus years of operational executive experience. She's having wide variety of recognitions that she got in her whole career. So you can just imagine the value bombs, the value chunks that you will get in this episode. She is currently CEO of Daimler Partners. She works with executives, teams, and organizations to identify the strategic business and culture levers that will help that become more effective. She has pretty big names in her whole career. She worked with Adobe, Twitter, like many big companies we work in building the culture, building the structure of the companies. Melissa is also a speaker, panelist. She She's doing a lot. She's done a lot. She writes for Harvard Business Review, Huffington Post. She's doing a lot and she has done a lot. So you can just imagine the value that we will get from this conversation 
this is going to be new for me as well. Like there are going to be tons of things that, that I will learn from her in this episode. So if you want to learn, keep on listening and let's welcome Melissa. Hi, Melissa. Welcome to the pod. Hi, Ishu. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Awesome. Very welcome here. And I wanted to ask you, I wanted to start this conversation from here. Like, What kind of services do you provide so that everybody will get the context? I run an advisory and consulting company, and I work at three different levels. One is working with CEOs and executives just one-on-one to help them be more effective leaders. At another level, I, I work with teams to help them understand how to make decisions, how to run meetings, how to execute on their strategy in a more collaborative way. And the third area of focus, which is my passion, I'm sure we're going to get into quite a bit today, is just working with usually the CEO and the chief people officer in designing or redesigning their culture. Um, So prior to that, I, I built and led organizational development, talent, and learning functions for over 20 years at Adobe, Twitter, and WeWork. So I I bring a very practitioner and systems perspective in the work that I do now. Okay, cool. And I know that, as you said, that you have got years of experience in building like extraordinary cultures, teams. So how come you came up with the thought of doing something of your own? Like, was there any kind of motivation behind it? I came into this, I think, a, a bit accidentally. Uh, I, after we work, I took a bit of a break and was figuring out what I wanted to do next. And I had uh, colleagues and friends contact me and just ask me to coach them for a few months. Or I had some startups connect with me and ask me to come in and help them design their culture. Uh, I had uh, quite a few teams. This was toward the end of uh, the year and they were kind of wrapping up the year and trying to figure out how to map out the the next year from a a strategic perspective. So I was uh, not intending to do this. It's been over two years now that I've been doing this and I'm loving it. I mean, I think I've, I've been able to do a lot of the things that I did inside companies, but just now work with a wide range of, of companies and people. Yeah, exactly. Like uh, doing something of your own, it's, it's kind of not working for any particular company at a time. So you're working with many companies at a time, right? Yeah. 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 And Melissa, like, uh, what is the company culture according to you, as, as you just mentioned the point, culture, company culture? So what is a company culture according to you? Yeah, there are a lot of definitions out there, as you know, on, on culture. Yeah. And I, a couple of years ago, I wrote an article for HBR, and I think it resonated with a lot of people because at that time, having just come out of, of WeWork and having worked for amazing companies and cultures like Twitter and Adobe, I took a pause to figure out what is culture. And I think there are so many articles and books and, and uh, 
research papers out there on on what it is and what it isn't. And I just mm -hmm. was never satisfied with the definition. And I, I think it is something that is not as soft as what uh, is often uh, heard of when, when they think of, of culture. So I define culture as three things. It's the behaviors, processes, and practices all aligned with the values of your organization. And mm -hmm. I believe that culture can be operationalized and integrated. In fact, I think it, it needs to be in every organization. And if it's not, if, if your exercise is just to figure out what your values are and, and put them on a, a nice poster on the wall without any thought of how those are going to show up in your day-to-day -day experience, you might as well not even do the exercise. Mm -hmm. Interesting. And as you were saying, uh, the three points, so I think these are interconnected, right? Like, because processes, I think, is going to change the behavior as well of the people or yeah. maybe like trigger the behavior, how they're going to react to that particular situation or something like that. What do you think about it? You have it exactly. I, I think that uh, culture is really a system. Our organizations are systems and everything is interconnected. So when we think about our behaviors, these are more what I would call observable actions. Mm -hmm. And so if you then start to integrate those into all of the people processes, so interviewing and the hiring process, what are the behavioral questions that we're going to ask potential candidates to make sure that they are, I wouldn't, I don't like the, the term cultural fit, I don't we want people to fit into our organization, but I think we want them to complement or add to our organization. And how we're going to know that is if we ask behavioral questions that are lined up with our values. And then you look at processes like feedback, development, promotion, how you recognize people. All of those ideally have the thread of the cultural values and behaviors so that it's much clearer how we're working with each other across the organization. I often call um, culture is, is, is really the playbook for how we work. Mm -hmm. And do you think like culture is, is kind of uh, like static or it's dynamic, it changes with time, it evolves, or do you think like once it's set, so it's gonna it's gonna keep on follow the same trend until the or until the end of the company or if there is no end like until the company grows or something like that, it's gonna keep on the same stage or it evolves or changes with time. I love that question. I I often say that that's one of the uh, misconceptions of culture that it's a one and done exercise, and I think it's something that should be reviewed all the time. Maybe not as much as your strategy. I think ideally you're looking at your strategy at least every quarter or in 2020 <laughs> every week. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but it should be reviewed at least every six months, every year, uh, because you're not just reviewing, again, a list of values. You're looking at how much uh, the, the behaviors are helping us 
make those decisions. Uh, they're helping us collaborate. They're helping us understand, you know, who's who needs to be recognized. And sometimes as your company is growing, and that's often the case here in Silicon Valley, you have very uh, uh, fast moving companies who are evolving quickly. Mm -hmm. Maybe some of the values that you originally created have now evolved. Those aren't as important or there's other values and behaviors that are more important uh, that you're going to prioritize now and map to behaviors. Or you could say the values and behaviors stay the same, but we also need to review our processes and practices. And you know, I'll give you a, a quick example of the practice piece. You know, sometimes um, you know, at Twitter we had uh, these Friday afternoons we called tea time. So it was in the entire company got together and reviewed the week and recognized people and had a beer, or had tea, whatever their mm -hmm. preference. Um, but we realized over time as we grew and we became a global company. Friday afternoon in San Francisco was Saturday morning in London and uh, Saturday evening in Tokyo. It just it wasn't appropriate. It wasn't uh, a globally friendly time. We also were very San Francisco centric. And so we wanted to have that practice of coming together be much more global. And so we, we shifted you know that practice to not be on Fridays, but Thursdays, and we changed it to uh, every other week. It was in the morning and then the afternoon. So you may not always change your values and behaviors, but you could change the practices uh, around how you work. Mm -hmm. And and Melissa, like uh, coming to the same point or touching the same point. So is it difficult to build a culture in the beginning stages of the company or? when the company is scaling or is already scaled up. So what do you think, like if if someone is founding the company, they are starting out, they started with one or two team members and then now they've grown up even bootstrap, not even with, uh, not even raised any money yet. So they're just going fast, but going with their own money. Then they're not much aware about the culture because maybe they were not exposed to these kind of things before. What do you think, what is the most difficult stage or what is going to be the most difficult stage for a particular company? Um, I think it's more difficult the bigger you are. I, I often get asked that question of when is it too soon to create culture? And your culture is being created whether you're designing it or not. Uh, mm. So things are happening around you that may not be consistent with what you want to have happen. Decisions are being made in ways that, you know, people are uh, thinking is, is the best outcome. Uh, people are getting hired uh, because their friends are uh, referring them uh, in an early stage company. So I always say that culture is there. Um, so it's, it's up to you if you want to design it intentionally and explicitly or not. And mm. so I, I would say that, uh, you know, as soon as you become two or three people, it's important to identify and talk through how you want to work together. Because again, culture is not just this esoteric, you know, kind of 
theoretical uh, exercise. It's, mm-hmm. it, it ideally is supposed to help you work together more effectively versus being just another HR initiative. Hmm. Okay, interesting. So knowingly or unknowingly, the company is building the culture. Mm-hmm. It's as simple as that. And and as we know that hiring the team members, or I should say that um, the hiring that right team members is a bit big task. In the startup especially, there is so much that has to be done within the limited resources, uh, which sometimes make it really hard to build a culture, or I would say maintain the culture. Uh, what are your thoughts on this um, Uh, Like, have you seen any kind of specific trend happening in the startup environment, specifically around culture, team building? You have worked with so many big companies like Adobe, Twitter, and many Mm -hmm. of the big names. So have you noticed specific kind of differentiating factor between the established companies and the startup companies um, when it comes to culture? Like any major difference um, that you have found out? Okay, yeah the startup companies are missing these kind of things and that might be the factor that's not helping them i you know i think in larger companies so at adobe and twitter i mean we iterated on our our values and and behaviors uh and so we did exactly what i just shared around iterating uh our values and behaviors as the company kind of grew and uh, scaled. I, I would say that it's almost a flip of, of, you know, the, in this case, the startups and early stage companies have a huge advantage of just getting things out there quickly and are more comfortable in that MVP, that minimum viable product, mm-hmm. and iterating on it as you go, versus you know some of the the larger companies have a harder time pulling major teams together and getting something out there uh, quickly without kind of major analysis paralysis and you know a lot of meetings with PowerPoint decks and and review. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think the the startup has the advantage there. I, I think the advantage on the larger company side is, you know, because you have more of an infrastructure, it's it's easier to embed those values and behaviors in a lot of the processes that we talked about. Mm-hmm. And a, a great example of that is on the development side. You know, I always say I think it's it's such a waste when we have these amazing um, uh, training experiences or learning experiences, but they aren't connected back to what we have emphasized around our values and behaviors. And so if uh, you know, one of the, the values is to be innovative and a behavior is to continue you know, to experiment or, or get that V1 out there, then how are we setting our employees up with the skills to do that? You know, so then having a learning experience tied to how to be innovative within that specific company is important. So the learning experience might include things like design thinking, asking questions, 
you know, actively listening to the customer, having empathy. All of those are skill sets that are tied to the, the values and behaviors. And I just think that is a, a missing component often, especially of, of startups and early stage companies that I think the more mature companies have, have nailed a bit more and have the infrastructure to, to implement it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And as you touched on the point of teams, so as now every team is going online or every team meeting is going online, everybody is going remote. So what do you think, like what kind of changes are coming in the companies or what kind of things that they are doing differently when it, when it is compared to the things which were done physically? Yeah, I think a lot of people are talking about the hybrid workplace now. I know a number of companies, as you know, like Google and mm-hmm. Twitter and Square and uh, a lot of other companies now are declaring remote first. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think a, a lot of other companies are realizing that it's not necessarily the remote part that people are loving. They're liking the flexibility. Um, and so I think this idea of having a hybrid workplace is resonating with a lot of companies as well as employees. And so how do we be more intentional in, in how we work? And so if it's just two or three days in the office and two days or three days, however it's configured at home, what does that mean? You know, do we, are we going to have certain teams that come into the office certain days? Uh, do we need to be more explicit about the kinds of meetings we're having? So maybe we get together in person for brainstorm meetings, but if it's just a presentation or a quick decision we have to make, we don't all have to be in the same room. So I, I think a lot of what should have happened, frankly, in our work uh, spaces before in, in being more intentional in, in how we work is, is what a lot of leaders are talking about now. Um, I do think, you know, one of the things that I'm talking a lot to, to clients about now, and I'm sure you're experiencing and also dealing with is uh, we're at the end, you know, this is October 2020, we've been in this, what, seven, eight months. We're going to be doing this at least for another year. Um, I think people are burnt out and there's just a lot of um, Zoom fatigue and um, just this heaviness that I think people are, our leaders are trying to figure out how to help uh, their employees get through. Um, and I think a big piece of that, again, is just giving giving people more space in in how we come together and i um i compare this to a a a big mistake we made in the learning industry uh like 10 years ago when we decided to put everything that we were doing in the classroom in live training online and we thought we would just call it e-learning and it would be amazing and we didn't realize that actually the design of something that you experience online and through a computer screen should be different than what you experience in person. Um, And so, you know, 
we came up with this idea of the flipped classroom. You know, what can we share up front with people to read so that when they come in to a live experience, there's more of a conversation. We can give people time to practice. There's more opportunity for us to have a, a conversation. And I think the same thing is happening now with how we work. So, you know, somebody even called it the flipped classroom uh, that, you know, we're realizing we don't have to be on Zoom calls 10 hours a day. Some of those can be even phone calls. Um, some of those don't even have to be meetings. So I just think people are burnt out. I think we're starting to see more mental health issues and uh, a lot of managers and leaders are redesigning and thinking differently about what is expected and how we work with each other because um, you know we, we can't have burnt out employees right now when we know we have another year of this. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And Melissa, like we discussed the team and you also touched the point of the leaders. Uh, we discussed the team, the culture, but what about the leaders, the founder, the entrepreneur who has to run the show? So how should they prepare themselves for dealing with these kind of situations? I know first thing is they can come to you. <laughs> another one, another one. I'm looking for another one. Yeah, I mean, I, I think a lot of the leaders this year that I've been working with are realizing that it's not so much about having the perfect answer. Mm -hmm. It's just about engaging and connecting with their employees. And so, you know, really, even if they're, when we first started this thing back in March, I remember one of the CEOs I was working with said, you know, I, I'm not going to give any updates because I have nothing new to share. I don't, mm -hmm. I don't know what we're doing with our business. I don't know if we're going to have a layoff. I don't know if we're changing our strategy. And my point was, that's okay. Like, you don't have to know. They just want to hear from you. And just saying that you don't know is, is a big thing. So. I think there's been a big shift with a lot of leaders this year in, in understanding that it's more about the connection than having the perfect answer. I think the other piece is the, the leaders and the organizations that are being most successful this year have set up their culture and their strategy to be able to pivot very quickly. Uh, you know, so, uh, and they have teams who they've hired who are also um, agile and able to to be flexible with how they're working. And so there's a lot of meetings and conversations around how best to pivot, what stays the same, what needs to change, how do we communicate this, um, how do we work with our, our customers differently. And I think those are the people that are, are doing um, are working most effectively now. I would say the last thing is, is just, mm -hmm. just like the organization is a system, we as individuals have our own systems. You know, we have our own values and practices and processes that, <laughs> that we experience and live every day. And so are we taking care of ourselves uh, first? And so I'm, it's back to basics when it comes to that. So I'm, I'm working with a lot of CEOs right now who, um, they're just, they're trying to make sure that their foundational practices are in place, that they're working out in the morning, that they're not back to back 
in meetings, that they're giving themselves space to think, that they're spending time with their family. Um, a lot of people are, in the beginning, were using their commute time and using that to work and do email. And I think that's now shifted for a lot of people when they realized, you know, one more email or, or you know, one more phone call isn't going to help me be more effective. I actually need to pull back and put some space in my day. Mm, okay, this is this is really interesting way to to articulate that, and and I, I really loved it. And just just wanted to ask you one la- final thing before we wrap up. I wanted to ask you like any final thoughts that you think I missed, or you you thought of saying that, but I didn't ask the right question. Maybe anything, any thought that you want to share with the people who are listening to this episode. I would say as we're wrapping up, a lot of people are wrapping up. 2020 and then trying to figure out how to close out the year well and 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 go into our our next year i would just reiterate what we talked about which is you know make sure you're checking in with your colleagues and your employees and uh asking maybe asking more questions than you normally do and listening in a way that maybe you don't always listen um and talk through uh, both the what, you know, our strategy and the how, the culture, and, and make sure that everybody's aligned in, in those two things as we go into uh, 2021. Thank you. Thank you so much. And Melissa, where can we learn more about you and your business if somebody wants to get in touch with you? Uh, my website, melissadaimler.com. I'm also uh, pretty active on LinkedIn. So that's Melissa Daimler. And uh, you can also find me on Twitter and Instagram. Too much, my husband says. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much coming to the party. It means a lot, Melissa. Thank you.